regardless of the vast job experiences that I had, finding work was actually more difficult than I expected. There was no way I would allow myself to work in a club or bar again, because I didn't like the unsociable hours. Plus, it would have been very hard to work anywhere other than the ocean and evolution. I got to wave murder in those places, so striking lucky a third time wasn't a risk I was willing to take. It wasn't as if I'd been refused work. There just weren't any jobs. And spending that money I needed to save, going back and forth from the centre with CVs in tow, became really monotonous and rather counterproductive. In the space of a week, I handed out over 70 CVs and was so close to giving up that I even sought out payday loan companies just so I had some money to tie me over. You know it doesn't matter how careful you are with money. Sometimes your pay just won't stretch far enough. That's where QuickQuid, the online payday lender, could help. With their short-term loans, you could borrow the money you need now and pay it back on your next payday. I very much got my hand burned doing so, as all required a small fee to process my claim. And then for whatever reason, my application would be rejected because I didn't hit the right criteria. My finances worked in a good way and everything screamed cutting my losses and moving back home. But I was determined not to do that. Desperation will do wicked things to the mind, particularly to someone with a mind as unstable as mine at that time. And I began to look at all sorts of jobs. There wasn't a job I thought was beneath me and would have considered doing anything if it meant I was kept busy and not left to my own devices. I joined every possible job agency website with no success. And I even went as far as into looking into becoming a male escort. When during an internet search, I found an escorting agency online and immediately sent them 30 pounds for a year's membership with photos attached in the process. Tasked to take older women out on their dime sounded like a piece of cake. And as I no longer believed I was below average appearance wise, I was convinced I'd have no problem entertaining some old biddies for a couple of hours. The money proposed was unreal. And it was said that any added incentive for the women were not part of the deal and at the discretion of the escort, which was fine by me. There'd be nothing worse than an Ethel or Gladys going to town on you like a hard-boiled sweet or Werther's original. But the overall arrangement sounded like something I'd be good at, obviously with discretion. I didn't get a single call. Whether it was because the likes of Ethel and Gladys weren't interested, or I dealt with a company out to scam gullible fools like me, I don't actually know. But for the sake of my confidence, I hoped it was the latter. Fresh out of ideas, I made one final attempt and flicked through the local paper where I saw an advertisement for telephonists at yellow pages. When you're needing a number, they never slumber. Warm 
call centre work. It was not at all anything I had done before, and I certainly didn't like the idea. But work was work, and once I'd applied and completed a rather daft spelling and listening test, I was given a job on the spot. It was a massive relief, and in true juvenile fashion I sought to go out and celebrate, as if that was the most sensible thing to do when you have no money. It was a Friday night, and having been out of touch with the nightlife scene, going into the centre of Bristol was out of the question. I needed to ease my way back in, so one of my housemates took me to a student night at the main campus, called Crunchy. I'd been to Crunchy a lot when I was at uni. It was a cheap and cheerful night, not too far from where we lived, and you'd almost certainly see the same faces there every week. Drinks were incredibly cheap, and the music was a mishmash of different stuff, usually spread over different rooms. And unsurprisingly, I was always in the R&B room, whenever they could be bothered to open it up. I met Portia Robinson that night. She actually wasn't even a student, rather a friend of some girl who studied at Bristol and she just happened to live in Bristol too. She was pretty, but freakishly thin, similar to that old catwalk model look. If there was ever a gust of wind, she'd have been sure to blow away, but it was her dancing that initially attracted me to her. It wasn't anything spectacular, but in comparison to the epileptic fits most of the other girls around her were doing, it stood out. Armed with my newfound job confidence and Dutch courage, I stepped in and attempted to playfully dance battle her. And soon enough, once I fought off other interested parties, her and I had a drink at the bar and were getting to know each other. She was super interesting and I stood there and listened to every word she said with fascination and wonder. She made me laugh a lot, <laughs> and we just continued to talk and dance for near another hour and a half, before it came to an unfortunate end, as her drunk friend needed looking after. However, we exchanged numbers, shared a small kiss, and arranged to meet up during the following week. I started my one month's training at Yellow Pages a few days later, which was probably the most benign and tedious training period I'd ever experienced. Being made to say, 118247, how may I help you? And, shall I connect you? Over 200 times a day was enough to make me forget myself and start answering my mobile phone in the same way because it just became second nature. The shifts there too were excruciating but I knew I had to see it through. It wasn't all that bad though, as much of my time when I wasn't finding the nearest dog groomers, I spent it texting Sophie. Her and I started to become really close friends again, and as each day passed, the discussion of hanging out sometime was raised, but neither of us wanted to jump the gun and arrange it. I missed her, 
and deep down I knew, even after everything, if she'd come to me with the idea of getting together, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. Much, if not all, of my toing and throwing from her and other people was a direct consequence of not getting my way with her. And I knew my promiscuity was my way of indirectly sticking two fingers up at her in frustration. As much as I deeply cared about her, the chances of her and I ever happening was impossible. Yet I was unable to let it go. I was damaged goods. And I strongly believed that if I were ever to start a relationship with someone in the future, that person would have a hard time breaking down my defences. I just knew my guard would constantly be up. Portia was the first to unfortunately experience that when she came round to mine to watch a film later that week. We hung out, watched Insomnia and Friday, the second time for me in a matter of weeks, and then she ended up staying over too. We kissed, she got handsy, but nothing else happened, which was a bit anticlimactic for me. I expected something more to happen. It seemed like a dead certainty, and I wouldn't have turned it down had it been on offer, but it wasn't, and I had to set off what was given to me. I did, however, end up asking her to leave the next day. It had nothing to do with the fact she tried to give me another hand job the next morning. That was not an issue for me. But I did act a fool and recall in horror when her hand went wandering too far and ended up going for a backwards reach around to an area and a spot that some ladies need to understand that not every man is comfortable with. I was one of those men. And from that moment alone, I promptly demanded she leave. Yo, sorry, Portia, but what makes you think I was into that? You no, what, what? It was another harsh and totally unnecessary reaction from me. And once I'd said it, I realised I shouldn't have followed through with it. But her claims of, it was an accident, didn't wash with me. And certainly didn't help her cause. There was nothing accidental about it. It's not like those two areas are in the same place. Or it was dark, so she had to feel her way around like a perverted Ray Charles. She'd been caught out, and had let her inner freak loose too soon, too quickly. I sat upright, with my back to the wall, knees clutched to my chest, and watched her dress and get her stuff, the whole time not looking at me. She muttered a reluctant goodbye, and I asked her to close my door on the way out. Like I said, it was mean, but I was shocked, and rather embarrassed, and mortified, and that was the only way I knew how to deal with it. I couldn't imagine what would have happened had I been the type to not speak up, and let her have her wicked way with me. I wouldn't have liked it. Any incident would have ruined my whole sexual experience years before they properly developed. As hard as it was, I made sure I ignored all future texts of apology and reconcilement from her after that. 
and never spoke to her again. I'd worked at Yellow Pages for about two months before I celebrated my 20th birthday. The celebrations were low-key, which I didn't mind, as it was hardly a milestone. And I was just thankful to be in a relatively normal mindset and routine again. Sophie and I talked all the time again, mainly by phone, with one of our conversations lasting for a whopping four and a half hours. I can't possibly tell you what we talked about, because it wasn't of any substance as per usual. But as we talked, time flew by. I had three minutes I wasn't using, and her tariff allowed her three hours worth of calls if you paid for the first three minutes. So we made sure our phone benefits were taken advantage of. Of course, neither would ever keep within our allocation. And more often than not, our phone bills were unbelievably high. It didn't directly bother me though. I was working so I could pay for it. But constantly talking and sneaking around so we could hang out with each other meant that my emotions once again got caught up and my mind ran wild with what-ifs. Feelings that had laid dormant for months reared their head and I started contemplating trying to be more than a friend to her. She wasn't stupid. I'm sure she could see what I was doing. But I couldn't imagine it was all one-sided. But typical of us, we never took it further. Our drama-filled past dictated that, and still made to meet in secret showed her insecurity regarding her friends was still there. I'd also taken to watching Scrubs. Most of my current housemates watched it, so I wanted to see what the big deal was, and what I'd taken a punch for. I was never one for American sitcom humour, friends included, but admittedly, I absolutely loved it, and soon I became so hooked that it was all I watched when I wasn't working. Come my 20th birthday, Sophie being perceptive bought me the remaining seasons so that I could watch it to my heart's content. I loved her for that gesture alone, and it wasn't because she bought me something that I liked. It was the fact that she bought me something, full stop. I'd never been one for allowing or liking people buy me things or spending money on me. And it wasn't because I was proud or ungrateful. I just never felt I deserved it. Even for things like birthdays and Christmases. I was always like that. And whenever someone took the time out to do something for me, it would be one of the most humbling things because it meant I was in their thoughts. It's really hard to explain why that mattered to me. But I suppose it all stemmed from a need to be cared for. I'd gone through a long period of doing things for myself because no one else wanted to know. And as Sophie had taken the time out and spent her hard-earned money, well, it meant the world to me. She treated me. And as the proud owner of Scrub Seasons 1, 2 and 3, I added them to my DVD collection. And it was the best present I received that year.
my housemates took me to Crunchy at the end of that week to celebrate my birthday properly. And that was the night Jason J. Watts and I became friends. I'd met JJ once before, one afternoon playing football with some students at the campus. I had not taken too kindly to him tackling me during the game. So the next chance I had, gave him a robust challenge of my own. He was far from impressed at the time. But once we saw each other at the bar that night, and realised who the other was, we hit it off straight away. JJ26 wasn't even a student, but in fact a plumber who had friends studying in Bristol. And I just so happened to know of these friends having seen them on nights out in the past, which made us mutual friends, but hadn't known it. I had a good night, and it seemed with the inclusion of JJ into my friendship group, things only got better. Following my birthday night, JJ took every opportunity available to invite me in all nights out, cementing our friendship and relationship further. He was a really cool guy, and a lot of the time had more money than sense. This meant that many of the nights out were paid for by him, which I always took objection to, but he was persistent. And once I realised I wasn't a charity case, like I'd led myself to believe, I stopped arguing. He was a genuine kind guy, and just wanted me to have as good a night as him no matter the cost. And as I later found out, the substance. One night, he took me to a Bristol Academy house rave. And that's where I first met Rosa McHale. Free-spirited, hippie-like, and from Northern Ireland, Rosa looked like a walking stereotype. But behind all the tattoos and some piercings, she was incredibly pretty. 24, slim, brunette, and without a care in the world, I instantly wanted her, and her initial behaviour towards me, once we'd been introduced, made me believe she wanted me too. I later realised that was only because she was high shit on MDMA, but that didn't bother me. We lusted for each other, and as it had been a few weeks since my last sexual encounter, I was presented with an opportunity I wasn't going to turn down. JJ ended up leaving with her friend Leanne, and whilst he took her back to his house, I took Rosa back to mine, and spent near enough four hours having the best sex I'd ever been subjected to to date. She was clearly more experienced than me, but she made me feel like I was a sex guru, with her reaction to every touch, stride, or thrust. For about a month, I was dragged along with them to every underground house rave in Bristol, which resulted in the same sexual encounters every time. She always offered me drugs, and I always turned her down, because of the promise I made after the last time I dabbled. I did well to fight her off though. Usually I would have succumbed to the temptation just so I wouldn't lose that person's interest or be seen as a party pooper. But I needed to stay strong. She was, however, relentless. And one night, 
while she gave me one of her customary hand jobs before we went out. She convinced me to take MDMA again. Yes, I buckled under the pressure. But could you really blame me? I'd have agreed to anything at that point. It turned out to be more than a bad idea in the end. Because I had an adverse reaction to the MDMA. And my lips swelled up and left me looking like Sherman Clump. But that wouldn't deter her. And after a night of hard partying, we ended up staying at JJ's flat. Primarily so they could keep an eye on me. Unable to sleep because the MDMA ran riot throughout my system. I ended up sleeping with Rosa again and again on JJ's sofa, way into the morning, with no happy ending, and all because the drugs just wouldn't allow it. I also started to take ecstasy with them a few times after that, although to my knowledge it never worked, and unfortunately, taking drugs together started to become more important to her than the thing we had. So I went off her after that. There was no denying the sex was great, amazing even, but the amount of drugs she was taking was far too much for me to handle. I didn't want to end up like her. And to be fair, sleeping with someone after a night out became redundant. JJ soon stopped talking to her friend as well. So when it seemed unlikely I'd ever see her again, I texted her and told her I was going away on a business trip for a month and would speak to her when I got back. There was obviously no such trip, but I hoped it would give me the chance to lose all contact with her and for her to move on and for us to go our separate ways. It also showed how messed up she was or she just consistently failed to remember or listen to anything I told her about what I did for work, etc. After all, what exactly would a business trip for a call centre operative working for Yellow Pages involve? I did, however, quit my job at Yellow Pages a week later. It was a bad decision, as I didn't have another job to go into, so it was quite impulsive. But I was sick and tired of working there, and the hours were ridiculous. There were colleagues who would start after me, yet leave before me to go home. And it's disheartening having to pick up calls every other minute and have to hit call duration targets. Even if I was paid well and weekly, the job itself wasn't amazing. I wasn't cut out for the call center office environment as I spent all of my working life in retail and hospitality and later applied to work at Curry's Digital. So when I got the job days later, I couldn't believe my luck. Typically, as if I had jobs lined up left, right and centre, after my first shift at Curry's, I didn't like having to work under commission and just chose not to go back. Within a week, I'd had two jobs and quit them both. I needed a job where I'd be able to talk to people, but on a face-to-face -face basis, 
with no targets, in an industry that I enjoyed and had an in-depth knowledge about. So, based on this criteria, the decision came whilst walking past the shop one day that I would apply to work at Blockbuster Videos. <laughs>